Okay. And I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed a coronavirus-free week. And, uh, yeah, that is kind of interesting stuff. It's really interesting because you can kind of see, you can kind of see how, how we as human beings need to feel like we're in control of things. And, and you never are. You know, God, God, I think, goes like this. <laughs> you guys really think you're going to get control because about the time, like, we got it, we got a solution to the coronavirus, there'll be some other virus. I mean, it just it doesn't stop. God, God says, no, I, I'm in control. You're, you're not. We're going to jump back into Romans today and try to get into some, I, I call this just core, really core theology. I hope it's helpful to you. We're, we're going to do a little bit of backtracking so that we can get ourselves moving forward around this issue of obedience. And uh, over my years, one of the things that's really struck me about being, you know, being a Lutheran theologian in an evangelical world is the fact that, you know, we come under a different theology. Uh, Luther was a guy who said, we are, we're going to talk about obedience, but we're going to talk about it from, from the, the, the perspective of, of what does it, what does it mean and what does it not mean? And, um, we're going to talk about it under this idea of, of living in grace, living under the gospel. And so um, as a Lutheran theologian, it's interesting to me that I'm, I'm constantly trying to evaluate. Um, and you go on to this. How many of you have been on to that right, right now media? If you guys, you know what I'm talking about. There's so much stuff out there. Uh, but 99.999% of it comes from an evangelical or obedience perspective. And the sense of it is always underlying is this idea that, you know what, you just, you're just, you're on the edge, but you're not there yet. You're, you're trying, but you can't quite get there. And uh, you need to be more obedient. And there's, there's a fear that comes upon people like, well, what, what do I do about that? And uh, so today I want to come back around that idea of what, what is obedience, what it is, what it isn't. What's the right tension that should be at work in, in our lives? Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come together, uh, remind us again of what it means to be your people. Um, I can't even begin to imagine the impact that these words initially had upon Jews who saw themselves as obedient. And, uh, and Lord, you, you rocked their world in a way that uh, called them to have to look at who they are and who you are, who, who they are not, who, 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 who you are not. And God, the same thing is true today. So this is core stuff to each one of us. And so I just pray that you, you would join us, uh, speak to us through this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. All right. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm just going to kind of come back to this idea, you know, as you, as you look at Romans chapter 2, of course, Romans chapter 1, looking at the world, looking at the brokenness that's going on in our world. And from the perspective of the, the Jew who's listening to chapter 1, I'm just in full agreement with what Paul is saying. Paul is going, look at that world out there, how nasty and broken it is. It's easy for us as Christians to do. We, we do it well. We look at the world, we're like, yep, that's broken, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Chapter number two, you turn the page, and all of a sudden, the finger goes like this, zoop, turns back to me. And what begins to happen is, uh, you're, you're hearing God through Paul, 
in essence, saying to the Jewish people, you want to put yourselves up here and judge the people down here. You see yourself as clean, righteous, doers of the law, and, and so we live apart from the world. Kind of we create our Jew bubble. But I didn't call you to do that. I called you to be my light amongst the Gentiles. I called you to be my light to the world. And so you can't do, as long as you pull back away from the world and sit in a position of judgment over it, you're not doing what I called you to do. I, I want you to take my gospel out of the world. And that starts by recognizing that you, Jew, need my gospel as much as anyone out there. They're not in a different position. We're all the same. We're sinners in need of the grace of God. And, uh, and so chapter 2 is like uh, the right hook that comes out of nowhere that just nails you. And the Jew goes, whoa, what are you saying to me, Paul? We're the righteous ones, and they're the unrighteous ones. And now you're calling us, we're not, we're not different? That's correct. And so what Paul's doing is, is he's really helping us think about this tension between law and, and gospel. And we spent enough time on this last week that I won't, I won't try to recap it too much. But we, both, we need both in our lives, right? The law does play a role in, in our lives in the sense that it acts as a curb and a mirror and a guide. And um, what we said last, last week is sometimes the law is doing this to me. It's a curb. I hit it. I'm trying to do things my way. I hit it. I hit the law. And the law tells me that isn't going to work. That is not going to work. And I have pain in my life. And it's its purpose. It's supposed to create pain in my life. When I try to act or do life my way, apart from the will of God, it will bring pain. It will bring problems, trouble. Okay? Uh, sometimes the law is acting as a mirror. And, and this is one of, its mo- one of its most important functions. It really shows me who I am. You, you think you're all that? Let me show you who you really are. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking in this mirror, and, and the Spirit of God is, is convicting me to know that, no, you know what? I, there's no fooling God. I, I'm a mess, and I am in need of a Savior, because I'm not only, I'm only a mess, but I can't fix the mess. I can't fix it, right? Um, so you put these two together, you know, you, you have the... The, the addict who comes and says, Pastor Luke, I've tried, you know, many times to get myself out of this addiction and I can't. And I'm like, nope, you can't. You won't be able to. And I'm a mess. The curb and the mirror are at work. Well, that's the third thing that the law does is it acts as a guide. Now it points me to where I need to go to, to live in a way that, that pleases God. Uh, theologians talk about the third use of the law. And when you hear that terminology, they're talking about the law serving in its third use as a guide to show me this is what God's will is for me. This is what I, this is where I need to go to get out of this mess that I'm in. I go to my Savior. So we all need, do we need the law in our life? Yes. But needing the law is very different from living under the law. Romans is going to talk a lot about what it means to live under the law. To live under the law means that I, I take the law and I, I make it not only my, my guide, but I make it my rule in life. And I say, here's what's going to happen is I'm going to earn my salvation by accomplishing the law. 
how can I be right with God? So um, for a Jew, um, what, what, is, what is, does it mean to be zadok, to be righteous with God, to be right with God? It means I take the law that God's given us and I live it out. And as long as I live it out, I'm right, I'm right with God. Okay? What the Bible's going to teach us and consistently does is you can try to do that, but you have a little problem. When you were born, you were born under the law with sin. Now, the minute you break one single aspect of the law, you have violated the whole of it. Because the condition of the law is very simply this. And I want you to hear these words and never try to erase them, as so many theologians do. Here's what the Bible says. God says, you shall be holy even as God is holy. That's the righteous requirement of the law. So if you want to live under the law, you can do that. And in fact, you can earn your righteousness. You can earn heaven through the law if you can be as holy as God. You want to try it? Because you were born with sin. So you've got a problem right away, right? Uh, how do I get rid of the sin I was born with? Because I've got it. And now I'm going to try to live like I'm going to be like, you can't do it. So to live under the law means I make it my rule or, or not just my guide. I make it my pathway to righteousness or being right with, with God. That will kill you. Spiritually, that will kill you. My, my personal opinion is that, that evangelical Christian, Christians today are subtly under that law trying to work together with God to somehow earn some of my rightness with him. And I will tell you, it, it can be deadly to you. To be out of the gospel is, is not the opposite of that. It's a tension. It doesn't mean, well, I say, well, I don't have to obey the law. You know, I can do whatever I want. No, it does not mean that. What it does mean is I realize I can't fulfill the requirements of this law. I can't be as holy as God. I can't. And so I go to God and I'm like, God, I can't do it. And God says, okay, there's only one who's been able to do that. And his name is Jesus Christ. He was born into this world as a literal man. Literal man. Not, not appearance as a man. A man. To do what you, man, can't do. And that is to actually fulfill the law in its entirety. On your behalf. And then, to add to that, he came to be put on a cross. To literally... Uh, Pay the owed debt, the debt you, that's required to make you righteous, namely a blood sacrifice for, for the sins that you've committed. And so here's how the Bible works. To come under the gospel means in faith, I'm trusting what Jesus Christ has done on, on the cross. And I'm trusting the way that he lived to be, to be on my behalf so that I'm, I'm under the gospel means not I'm trying to live apart from the law. The law still has this place in my life. It's still a curve. It's still a mirror. It's still a guide. But I'm under the gospel in the sense that, well, no. I, I know, I know today when I, woke, when I woke, woke up today on God's day, Sunday, I didn't wake up today and say, God, today's Sunday and I'm just, I'm just going to be perfect today and I'm going to be holy today and, you know, I'll get my halo going there. And, um, I, no, you, don't do that. Don't come up with some fakey stuff 
like that I hear Christians doing all the time. Like, ah, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, I'm trying to do it. I'm like, no, you're trying to sin. No, I'm trying to get my life to No, your old man is in you and it wants to sin every single day. And so what, what it means to come into the gospel it means I come before God. I'm like, you know what? I really do want to sin, but I don't want to sin, right? So would you put to death that old man in me and, and raise up a new man that says, I desire to do your, your will, God. I want to live your way. That's to live under the gospel. And it's, it's what we're, we're talking about. And I think evangelical Christianity, again, so often is putting people subtly under the gospel. And I just, I'm, I want to be a voice in a big pond that says, come out from underneath that law and live under the gospel with the right tension where the law does play a role in my life, but not, it is not my rule. It is not my pathway to righteousness. So somebody says, what about James? That's your card, Diane. What about James? How does that fit into the whole thing? I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hear the evangelicals talk about this, so we need to talk about James. So we are going to talk about James. More importantly, what we're going to talk about is this word, this, this key word, obedience. You need to be obedient to God. Now, is that true? I need to be obedient to God. Is that true? I think in a real, very real sense, yeah, I need to be obedient to God. That's part of part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, am I obedient to God? No. Um, just ask Kirk Shook. He'll show you. He's he's sitting back there in that office every week. He's playing with those numbers right there. I'm like, Kurt, do you think our congregation is tithing? Kurt's got, he's one of my big voices. He's like, Pastor Luke, if this church were tithing, we could change this city for Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to put this on the line. That is truth. We depend on the government. We depend on all kinds of things. We don't have to depend on them. If the church were the church of Jesus, if one, if one church in a city were the church of Jesus Christ, you could change that city. We're just not. Why? We're disobedient. We We are. Are there other things I'm disobedient with? Oh, yeah. I'll give you a long list of them. Because it's my old man that goes to work every single day and says, you know what, God? You called me to do that. I'm not going to do that. You want me to do that? I'm not doing that either. You want me to do that? This one, you can, you can keep that one. That's what my old man is constantly doing before God. So what about obedience? Should I not be obedient? Look at some very strong words, and then let's deal with this thing, because it's going to hit us in the face throughout the book of Romans and throughout the Bible. What does it mean to be obedient? So you go back over to verse number 8, chapter 2, and I don't think these words are unclear, and I do think they're strong words, and you hear the word obey several times. Verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now again, the Jews sitting back listening to this going what? It's them. It's those people. Evil people out there. They're the ones that are going to, they're storing up wrath and fury. We're obeying God. Really? Keep going. Verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Yeah. Those people right there. Then he starts to change his language. The Jew first and also the Greek. The Jew. You're equating me with a Greek? I don't think so. 
But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Well, that's us. The Jew first and also the Greek. The Greeks don't do good. What are you talking about here? For God shows no partiality. No partiality. We're the called people of God. We have the law. We are the keepers of the law. Go to verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That's kind of strong language right there. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Without the law means what? Kind of get this in your head. Get it straight. You have the the Jews and the ethne, the peoples, the, the Gentiles. The Jews would say, we have the law. We physically have the law. We're the keepers of the law. We read the law. We come around the law. We live the law. These ethne, these people over here are without the law. Now, there's a sense in which they are without the law. There's a sense in which they are. They were not given, as Moses was, the physical law to be keepers of. Right? The Jews were called out of the world. And so, when, when, I, when I read this, this is what Paul's trying to say. All who sin without the law will perish without the law. So, because I don't have the law, does it mean I get a get-out-of-jail-free card? No. You sin without the law. You don't, you don't physically have it, but guess what? You sinned apart from it. Guess what? You're, you're going to perish. Uh, there will be hell for you if you're under the law. Okay? Um, then secondly, go to verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now the Jew goes, that's what we're talking about right there. We're the ones who are going to be. We're the just ones because we're not just hearers of the law, we're doers of the law, obedience. James, over here in chapter 1, verse 22, kind of comes around this thing, and uh, Mike Dobish told me, he says, this is one of my favorite verses, I had to memorize this verse, Uh, I'm going to have you take a look at it, James chapter 1, verse 22, James, by the way, is strong in the area of talking about obedience. This is why it's important to understand what he means by obedience. Um, James, I call James, fiery James, brother of Jesus Christ, did not trust Jesus Christ as Messiah, did not recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah until later in life. When he became a Christian, a follower of his brother Jesus Christ, bam, on fire dude. I mean, he's a guy who walks in the room and the walls start on fire because he is hot for you. We need to live our lives in a way that we reflect what it means to follow Jesus Christ as our Savior. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me to hear James use this kind of language. Verse 22, chapter 1, but be, read it with me, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, who perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That sounds like obedience to me, right? That's James. He's like, listen, Christians. Do not be running around talking about, oh, I love Jesus, and you're not, even, you're not even close to doing his word. Do not go running around saying, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and yet you are as far away from him as anyone else. Do not do that. Don't just listen to the word and say, yep, that was good. That was a good one. 
I like that one. But you don't do it. Be hearers and doers. That sounds like obedience to me. Does it not sound like that to you? All right, so what's the right tension? Come back over here with me. We looked at this last week, and I think it's just critical. So what does it mean to be obedient? And um, for me, this has always been both encouraging as well as challenging. To recognize that throughout the Bible, as you talk about obedience, there's two primary words that act like word pictures that show us what obedience is really all about. The first of those words is the word patho, and you can almost hear the term path in that word, patho, patho, and what it means is I am on the path or in the path to doing what God's path calls me to do to be right with him, okay? Now, think about this. John chapter 14, Jesus uses almost these exact same words when he says this, I am the way, the path, the truth, and the life. Finish that for me. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Who's the path? Not what is the path. Who is the path? See the difference there? What is the path? Now I'm on the law path. The path is these laws that I go and I follow. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the path. What does it mean to be obedient? It means that I am in a living, ongoing, tension-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't do what God calls me to do apart from that relationship. In that relationship, what's constantly going on is just as much as Jesus walked on the earth and sat down and talked to 12 disciples and he says, hey, I've got something to talk to you about. Jesus does that all the time in my life. He's doing it in your life. Sometimes I don't like it when he taps me on the shoulder because what he has to say is hard. He's like, Luke, we need you to come over here. Do I, do I just automate? Oh, yes, sir, Jesus. No, I push back. I'm like, you just go over there. You go over there. Get in your corner, Jesus. It's like, no, I don't work. It doesn't work that way. I'm, I'm after you, right? But I'm in this, t- this tension-filled relationship where my old man is seeking to sin and my new man in Jesus Christ is seeking to, to do what? To be on that path. But to be in the path is not a what. It is a who. It is about a relationship with him. And what I'm saying to you is obedience primarily is driven out of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That's the word picture that you have throughout the Bible when it comes to the term obedience. Second term, equally important, hupakuo. Hupakuo, hup underneath, akuo, to hear, literally means to come underneath the hearing of the word of God. Here's, here's our classic understanding of, of this from a theological perspective. We believe as Christians that when I hear the word of God, when I read this word, when I have quiet time with, with, with this word, what's happening is there is a supernatural, right? A supernatural intervention going on in my life through a word by which the Holy Spirit is using this word to affect change. The Bible's not a book. It's not just a book. It's a living word, right? That Jesus in the Revelation says is like a two-edged sword, and on one hand, it cuts through me, 
and I read it, and I'm like, oh, man, it's almost like you can see inside of me, God. He goes, I can. And sometimes it cuts right through me, and I'm like, oh, man, it convicts me. Sometimes it comforts me. It's a sword. The other side of the sword, shoo, to take out my enemy, right? But Jesus said it's not a dead word. It's not just words on a page. It's a living word. All what he's saying is when I spend time in the word of God, there's a supernatural event taking place through which the Holy Spirit is speaking into me, a person of faith. And guess what he's doing? He's changing me. It's out of that work in me that I'm able to become what we call obedient to what Jesus Christ has called me to be. If I spend very little time in the Word of God, my capacity for obedience is greatly reduced. Why? Because I'm living life under my old man and I'm giving God very little room. The, the, the time that I spend on a regular and ongoing basis. I, listen, I would, I, I would give anything if we spent as, if, I'll speak to men specifically. If, I, if, the men is, if we spent as much time just quiet, listen to God, let his word supernaturally act on you as we spend watching ESPN or accessing the app on our phone. If we just spent that much time, really it would change, it would change a lot of things. But we don't. You know why? Because we're busy. And I'll, I'll get to it. And I'll go to church. Yeah, I went to church a couple of weeks. I'll go again in a few more weeks. No, the reason that God calls us back to the Word again and again and again is because there's something supernatural going on. The Spirit of God is shaping us. What is obedience? It's coming underneath the hearing of the Word. And it's underneath that hearing of the Word that obedience is produced in us not as an act of our will. It's not like I go, man, I want to obey you, God. No, it's actually an act of death and resurrection. I put old man to death. I raise new man up. I do that every day. Put you to death, raise you up. Put you to death, raise you up. And so I'm daily clinging on to a God who's causing me more and more in my life to walk that path that we would call the pathway to rightness with God, righteousness. It comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes out of a supernatural work inside of me through a word, the Holy Spirit intervening in Luke's life to change me and make me what God is calling me to be. What is obedience? Relationship. The Spirit of God at work within me. And let me finally prove that to you by taking you back to this key verse right here, verse 13. First, I'm going to have you read it like a Jew. And then I want you to hear it the way Jesus needs you to hear it. Go right back to it. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. First hear it like a Jew. What is the Jew saying to himself? That's correct. We hear it, we do it. Now, is that true? Heck no. Jews are hearing what God's saying to them, and they're doing that almost the polar opposite of it, right? So I want you to hear it the way the Spirit wants you to hear it. Watch it again. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
This term right here, dia othesantai, is passive. That might not mean a lot to you, but in Greek, verb tenses matter immensely. And when you read a verb that's placed in the passive, here's what it means. You're a receptor of an action, not a doer of an action. You receive, you are not the, you are not the, the, the creator or doer of the action. Justified is what? Something I receive. I don't do it. I receive it. It is not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law who will be justified. No matter how hard I work at trying to be right with God, at be, be obedient with God, I can never be justified through what I do. I am only justified by what? By what he's done. God declares us righteous. We are not. He says, Don Muller, you are right before me. You are as holy as God is holy. And Don goes, and Eddie goes, <laughs> but in Jesus Christ, it's true. You are as holy as God is holy. Why? Because Jesus is God. And he, his work is your work, right? That's, that's what we're saying is, that's a declared justification, not, not an earned, not even a done justification. And so the Jews really are staggering with these words and under these words. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that I think we still have trouble with these words in our theological world today because we want to make it about what we do. We want to make it about, I'm, but I'm living this way. And sometimes we even subtly get it, get it into our minds that somehow because we are Christians and because we are trying to live this life, we're better than or, or we're able to otherize people who are outside of the faith. And, and Romans won't let you do that. It says, no, 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 no. Listen, you're all, we're all in the same boat, all Adam's blood, all need to be justified. And so choose this. You want to live under the law? It'll kill you. Or you can live under the gospel. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, you become the actual doer of what we call the law. Okay? Verse 14, Paul continues this line of thought. And, and it, it actually intensifies. So the, the Jews do this. About this moment, they go like this. <gasps> what did that guy just say to us? They're really rocking. He goes, oh, let me t-, he says, let me show you what I'm talking about. He says, for when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, okay, we all agree with that, by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Here's what they're showing us, verse 15. They show us that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What? Yeah, the Gentiles. The ethne, the people that are not, they don't have a, a temple, they don't, they, don't, they don't go do sacrifices, they, they're, they're, they're the people you call the unclean dogs. But guess what? If you watch them, do they ever do the law? Yeah, sometimes they do the law, they do the right thing. 
So how do they know it's right? They have the law. They don't have it the way you have it, but they have it what? Written on their hearts. And when they do that, guess what? That law that's written inside of them sometimes accuses them. You're, you're not right. This is not right. This is not right for you to do. Sometimes it excuses them. It, ca- it causes them to say, okay, um, that, that, that what was right, or so they think. But there's coming a day, right? Verse 16. But there's coming a day. Ooh, what is that day? It's judgment day. When, what happens? According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So you're looking at these Gentiles and you're going, well, when that day comes, I'm telling you what, they're going to get, they're going to get theirs. But here's what happens is on that day, here's how God does it. He judges the secrets of men. Well, yeah, but he does it in light of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The key question is, are you under the law or are you under the gospel? Judgment day. That's it. There's no, there's no other question. Are you under the law? If you are, you're going to hell. Because there, there's no question about it. You, you have not done what God has called us to do. If you're under the gospel, you're judged under the gospel on that day. And there's nothing hidden from God. It's all on the table. All the secrets, all of the things that you keep inside of yourself, it's all on the table. You're either going to be judged under the law or you're going to be judged under the gospel. Now, let's think about that, Jew. Go to verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Who is that a setup? Because right now every Jew is going, this is what we're talking about. Judgment day is coming. This is what I mean. Judgment day is coming and the secrets of men are going to be out there. Yes, this is who we are. We teach the blind. We're the light to those who are in darkness. We instruct the foolish. Verse 21, all of a sudden is like, boom, look at it. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? The room just got quiet. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Hmm. You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast of the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That quotes from Isaiah 52. That is some of the strongest language in the whole Bible. And let me tell you right now, if I'm a Jew... There's one thought running through my mind. That guy right there. What's his name? Saul. Now he's pretending to be this Christian dude, thinks he's something else. Do you just hear what he accused us of? He said that our that we are blaspheming God amongst the Gentiles. Kill him. Kill this Paul guy. No wonder throughout the entire book of Acts, the Jews are doing what? Trying to figure out a way to kill him. This is why. Because Paul minces no words. What he's saying is, here's the truth. That you who were entrusted with the law are actually breaking the law as much as any Gentile. 
And yet you're out there standing over the Gentiles. And because you are, you are literally blaspheming the name of God. What's blasphemy? What's the essence of blasphemy? In the Bible, if I say I've committed a blasphemy, what does it mean? I have placed myself in the position of God. You have made yourself God over these people. That's what you've done. And I, I'm gonna, I've, thought, I've thought a lot about this this week. I'm like, you know what? I hate to say this, but I think it's true. It's one of the things that scares me most about um, serving as a, as a pastor. Um, we kind of live in a world right now where in the church, um, it's not uncommon to have the names of, of men lifted up. Not uncommon at all. Hey, that's, uh, that's Matt Chandler's church. Hey, that's, uh, that's uh, Francis Chan's church. Hey, that's, that's uh, this guy's church. And um, that scares me. Because there's a lot of things being said in the church of Jesus Christ today that have nothing to do with the Bible. There's a lot of stuff being preached and taught that has nothing to do with what God's called us to be and do. And you know what people are doing when you set yourself in that place? You're, 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 you're going to speak as God to people. And one of the things that I, I constantly try to be aware of, and, and it, it really it does create it creates tension in me, is do you think you're God? No. You're going to represent God? Then you don't speak your word. You bring his word. Whether you like it or not, whether people say to you, you know what, I don't like what you're preaching. I don't like what you're saying. It doesn't matter. You bring my word of truth to the world, and until you're ready to do that, recognize that you can actually set yourself up in a place where you, you, you put yourself in that place as God, and you're not. And I think for the Jews, this, this word stung them immensely you are acting as god and you're literally blaspheming his name amongst the gentiles um verse 25 says for circumcision in, indeed is a value if you obey the law but if you break the law your circumcision becomes uncircumcision you've been hanging on to your place as the circumcised covenant people but in reality the way you've lived blasphemously amongst the ethne, the people, you, you're uncircumcised. Verse 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He's getting to a point. Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Now, we're going to close with this verse, but I want you to hear it at least today. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Back to that term, hupakuo, who does it? The spirit. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay? Here's what I want you to walk away with in hearing. One of the key questions that Romans is going to answer is this one. Who is Israel? Who is Israel? Up to this point in history, 
the Jews would say, we're Israel. I'm not talking about the physical country. I'm talking about the people. Here's Paul who actually steps out of that picture and says, wait a minute. Is it about the physical? Is it about my, my sign of circumcision? Is it about the fact that I hold the law? Or is Israel something else? Is it a matter of the heart? We'll pick up with that next week. Lord, uh, as we close out today, just ask your blessing. Uh, we're going to go into a new week. Um, Lord, help us live it in a way that we feel that tension inside of ourselves. Uh, we desire to be not just hearers. We don't just want to hear the, the law. We want to be doers. We, we want to be right with you. And yet, Lord, we constantly have to come underneath your gospel. Uh, it is our rule in life. Lord, uh, under that rule, help us uh, to, to, to be both a forgiven people, but a people who seek out what it means to live in you. We pray in Jesus' name.